This is an ABC podcast. We all do it without thinking about it. You're doing it now. Breathing in and out. How much does the way you breathe, though, affect you physically and mentally? Is this something worth paying more attention to in exercise, in sport and in daily life? Hello, I'm Amanda Smith. This is Sporty. And in this program about functional breathing, I'll speak with a biomechanist, a yoga teacher and a free diver, someone who holds their breath in, but through that has learnt the value of breathing out. Well, I found out the great secrets of relaxation, which are still very underused and underutilized, whether it's for stress in everyday life or peak performance in sports. So, you know, you flick a switch and you can relax and you do that through breathing. I call it relax on demand. Beginning, though, with Tony Blazevich. He's Professor of Biomechanics at Edith Cowan University and Director of the Centre for Exercise and Sports Science Research there. And, Tony, first of all, as I understand it, very simplistically, breathing puts oxygen into your lungs. From there it goes into your blood, and that oxygen is what fuels your muscles. Uh, How am I going? (laughs) What else is going on? That's a pretty good start. Um, And, well, as you know, one of its primary roles is to get oxygen not only to our muscles but to everything. Your brain requires a huge amount of oxygen. Your heart requires oxygen. And just about every process or every process you uh, need to do every day at some point will need oxygen oxygen because that's the only way we can get energy. Yeah, yeah. So what's what's shallow breathing then? And that seems to be regarded as poor quality breathing. Yeah, that's usually re- thought of as poor quality. And the reason is because if you think of your lungs as sort of a like a, a massive milk container, say a two or three litre container, every time you breathe in and then breathe out, you're not replacing all of the milk or air that's in that container. You're only replacing a small amount of it. So, if you breathe very shallow, the air that goes into the top of that container has to kind of find its way all the way down to the bottom of the container. And then from the bottom, it can then jump into the bloodstream. So, if you're breathing in a very shallow manner, it can be very difficult for all that oxygenated air to get into your blood. But if you take a deep breath, you get to mix everything around, you get the air right down to the bottom of the container and you can get it nicely into your bloodstream. Say if if you were to measure it, how many breaths per minute is wise or recommended? I've heard that six breaths per minute is good to practice, so that'd be five seconds in, five seconds out. Yeah, so if you wanted to do the slow sort of deep breathing to calm yourself, six, sometimes eight breaths is what's very commonly used in research. So a lot of the clinical trials looking at the effect of slow breathing or deep breathing on lots of things will use about six breaths a minute. So um, 0.1 hertz for those of you who are scientifically minded, Um, but you can breathe a lot slower. There are lots of other techniques. Generally throughout the day though, you're more likely to take about 16 breaths every minute if you're just doing normal breathing without thinking about it. Well, how do different sports and different types of exercise need or use different breathing techniques? Tony, say running compared to lifting weights. Uh, That's a good example, actually. So, uh, during, let's start with the lifting weights. So, when we're lifting weights, our muscles have to exert a huge amount of force and muscles are kind of dumb. They just want to shorten. They don't know that your arm is meant to flex upwards or your leg is meant to move backwards. They just know that they're meant to shorten. So, every time you activate your muscles to generate a force, 
you have to figure out how to hold all your other body parts where you want them to be. So instead of just flexing at the elbow to lift up a cup, you're actually activating lots of other muscles. And those muscles would cause lots of deformations through your body. They could curve your spine, for example. That wouldn't be good for posture, costs a lot of energy. So what we have to do to lift something very heavy is we have to stabilize everything. You've probably heard of the term core strength, which we don't necessarily really like in sport, but, but most of you will understand that. So we might activate a lot of the muscles that would support the spine for example. Uh, And to do that, we can use something called Valsalva maneuver. So, you just breathe in a little bit about halfway and you basically hold your breath. What you really want to do if you're doing it properly is activate that big breathing muscle under your lungs, the diaphragm. And that helps stabilize the spine, creating an intra-abdominal pressure and you can lift more. So, you're not breathing. (laughs) Right. So, what did you call that? The Valsalva maneuver. Mm. Mm. But in running, we do something else. In running, we have to take shorter breaths and what we do is we time the breathing with our step. One remarkable thing about being human and walking upright as opposed to lots of other mammals that have four legs, quadrupedal, and have to have horizontal bodies is if a horse or a cat or a dog runs, their lungs kind of slam into their ribcage. So, they can only breathe at a very specific frequency that is exactly their running step. Whereas humans, we could breathe twice every step, four times every step. If we really wanted to, we could breathe out of phase. And so, when we're breathing though, we find it easier that when we land on the ground, we want to be breathing out. So, we will time our breathing when we run to make sure it matches our stride. And if you're really, really tired, you'll double your breathing rate. If you're feeling okay, you'll halve it. So, it's always in sync with your stride. So, yeah, when you're lifting heavy, you don't breathe if you, if you know how to do it properly. And when you're running, you're breathing, but you're breathing at a very specific frequency that matches your stride pattern. Now, in my exercise class, we're often reminded to keep breathing because of what you've said, I, I guess, that you can tend to hold your breath when you're, you know, when you talked about lifting heavy weights, but also just when you're trying hard at something. Is In that case, though, is it a useful reminder, you know, don't forget to breathe? Yes, absolutely. I mean, at the moment, that is definitely the, you know, accepted wisdom that, If you're doing repetitive exercise, like in an exercise class, and every time you exert yourself, you keep holding your breath, then what you're doing is, of course, not delivering enough oxygen, making you tired. And when you're tired, you're not just not exercising as well, but when you're tired, you can't use all that stabilizing muscle and everything else. So, you actually, you know, fatigue much quicker than just the muscle alone. And so, by making sure that people breathe, and if you need some intra-abdominal pressure, if you need to lock everything up, you just sort of tense everything just very, very gently, and that helps support you while you're still breathing. So, it's really important. The other reason why people say keep breathing, particularly in a clinical context or if we're working with elderly, is that if you take a nice deep breath and then hold it, your blood pressure goes up. And of course, if blood pressure goes up, we're at a greater risk of things like a heart attack or a stroke or some other complication. So, at the moment, the idea is if you sort of breathe out on the effort, you know, breathe in just before the effort and then breathe out on the effort, we believe we can keep blood pressure a little bit lower and that should make it safer to exercise. So, certainly in an exercise class where no one wants to be responsible uh, for a heart attack or stroke during class, you know, <laughs> breathing is a good no thing. No one wants to have one. <laughs> no, no, that's exactly right. Someone who's seriously into holding his breath is Stig Severinsen. He's a four-time world freediving champion. He also has degrees in biology and medicine, and he's the author of Breathology, The Art of Conscious Breathing, which he's written for anyone, not just crazy extreme sports people. But Stig, I think you've been interested in holding your breath ever since you were a child. That's right. We had a pool at my childhood home, so my first game was actually throwing 
plastic animals into the pool. And then I had a competition with my younger brother and our neighbor, and we would dive in and on one breath, we should collect as many plastic animals, you know, dinosaurs and, and turtles and sharks. And in one breath, we should collect them in a basket. And that was our first game. So uh, yeah, that was a lifelong fascination that started there in young childhood. Well, the sports you chose to play also reflect this, uh, underwater rugby and underwater hockey and then free diving. You're a, you're a merman. Uh, what did you learn about breathing, or more to the point, not breathing, breath holding, that's more generally applicable to any of us? Well, I found out the great secrets of relaxation which are still very underused and underutilized, whether it's for rehabilitation, for PTSD, trauma, stress in everyday life, or peak performance in sports. Uh, I train Olympian athletes. I was in Rio in 16 with some of the Danish swimmers. So it's applicable when you really have to relax some certain muscles and your mindset as well, and, and then uh, optimize your performance. I also train the Danish Navy SEALs. I train special ops from the US, the SEAL teams, and from England, Norway, many different uh, groups. And I work also regularly with the Danish Royal Air Force. So they really need to relax because they need to focus and go from one assignment to the other, from one you know moment to the other, and they have to reset the mind and, and the ability to relax and use breath work as an instant, I call it uh, relax on demand. So, you know, you flick a switch and you can relax and you do that through breathing because when you breathe in a certain way, when you blow out slowly, almost like a sigh, you know, a sigh is a natural way of the body to relax yourself. Then what is happening physiologically is that you turn on the vagus nerve. It's the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, the vagabond nerve, the wandering nerve. And that one goes straight into your heart it has little roots that go into your lungs and all your internal organs. So it brings you into what's called the parasympathetic part of your autonomous nervous system. So this nervous system that's just self-regulated, but with breathing and, you know, elevating your consciousness about breathing and the way you breathe and the way you exhale, especially, you can trigger this rest and digest part of your nervous system. You're listening to Sporty, all about what difference paying attention to the way you breathe might have. A focus on breathing is an important part of yoga. So let's now meet a yoga teacher. Sarasvati Dawson has a background as a medical scientist and she's been teaching yoga for 20 years. Sarasvati, why is breathing such a focal point in yoga? Well, breath provides a focus so that our mind has something to do because we get so caught up in the busyness of our mind. Uh, so when we're focusing on the breath, that helps to slow down the busy mind. But also, if it's possible, we learn to match the movement with the breath so that the movement supports the breath and the breath supports the movement. So we do big uh, expansive sort of movements on the inhale and more forward closing movements on the exhale to support the expansion and contraction of, of the lungs. Now, do you see that as having any uh, parallels in sport and exercise more broadly? Focusing on the breath is very quietening for the mind, steadying for the mind. So in fact, if you need to focus more for your sport, then that would help for sure. And also we unlearn some poor habits that we may have had that may be restricting our breath as well. In what way do people tend to breathe incorrectly or unhelpfully? We, we forget 
the way that we're born to breathe. So normally what happens is everything expands, the chest and the belly expand as we inhale, as that diaphragm muscle pushes down, um, the belly rises and then as we exhale, the navel draws back, the rib cage draws in and that uh, chest cavity becomes smaller to exhale. And so learning to breathe correctly, often people do it round the wrong way. We hold in our belly. We're conditioned to hold in our belly all the time for looking beautiful. All right, and hold your tummy in. That's right. And we forget that, that actually doesn't support good breathing. It doesn't support our natural breath. And some people actually reverse breathe. They hold it in on the inhale instead of letting it expand. And that doesn't support healthy breathing. And there's other bad habits as well. People breathe through the mouth and ideally we breathe through our nose because the nose is designed to filter and moisten and warm. So there's less of a shock when the air gets to the lungs. And also we don't finish the inhalation sometimes before we exhale or we don't finish the exhalation because we want to grab the next bit of breath before we inhale. And these poor habits unfortunately don't support healthy breathing in the in the long term. Well, you, you talked about uh, breathing through the nose rather than the mouth. Mm-hmm. If you do tend to breathe through your mouth habitually, but, you know, your nose is not blocked, you, yeah. you can do it. Mm-hmm. Can you change that? You can, yes. <laughs> I know someone who tapes her mouth closed at night with just that micro pore sort of tape. I've never had to resort to that. But, yeah, we can unlearn those poor habits, but it's just remembering that's the hardest part is remembering and often it's stress as well that gets us and and we we end up over breathing or you know getting that high chest breathing and raise our shoulders and that just stimulates the stress response even more so what's then good breathing good breathing in a yogic sense is a normal inhalation and a normal exhalation and maybe the exhalation slightly longer than the inhalation and with a pause, just a pause to complete the inhalation before the exhalation starts and a pause after the exhalation before the inhalation starts. And I know that's often where people get stuck who are asthmatic because they just can't grab that air enough and uh, it actually doesn't help them in the long term and it's better to have that little pause for healthier breathing. But yes, I think it's awareness and sometimes we can be focused on our breath and be aware of our breath and practice the good habits. Luckily for us, though, we keep breathing anyway, even when we're not focused on it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Does paying attention to your breath um, improve your posture? Because as you're talking, I'm thinking about about breathing and it's making me sit up straighter. Yeah. Well, a lot of what we do in yoga is those movements that expand over the chest. So tight muscles across the front of your chest, Um, feeling stressed, these things all restrict our breathing. So the more we can learn to relax, and sometimes telling someone to relax is the hardest thing to do. So it's much better to just say, focus on a long, slow exhalation rather than stressing about whether we're relaxed or not, because that's just another thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, so focusing on that long, slow exhalation can be a way to really help people de-stress and to sort of uncover their natural breath that's always there but we just get into those poor habits. Well there's there's also in yoga not breathing, holding your breath. Mm. I actually don't teach 
breath holding because many of my yoga students are getting a bit older and may have high blood pressure. If you've got high blood pressure, then holding your breath increases your blood pressure. So that's not something that I tend to work with. I work with the natural breath and also the what I call the yogic superpower of the long, slow exhalation because that really helps to counter the effects of the stress response. So how have you found then the, the focus on breathing that you get from doing yoga helpful in your everyday life? Yeah. It's part of the strategy of getting out of the busy mind so that we can just be a bit more steady, a bit more focused, a bit more present with our life. And focusing on our breath is one of the strategies that we can use to, to do that. It suits some people. It doesn't suit everyone. If you tell someone to focus on their breath sometimes, there's a group of people who find that stressful because they're concerned that they don't breathe properly. So for those people, I might suggest to focus on some words or something different, a picture or something, just because those people are going to get stressed if you try and help them with their breathing, initially at least. So if you find yourself in a stressful situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you... Which I have done, yes. Of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, long, slow breath out is the biggest hint I can suggest because in a stressful situation, we tend to shallow breathe and that just becomes a, a stimulating the stress response thing. So to counter that, drawing the navel back and slowing the exhalation, letting the shoulders drop, even though your mind's racing because you're figuring this stressful situation out if you don't actually have to run from the tiger right at that point then yeah the long slow breath out and so inhaling naturally and then you know maybe even counting the long slow breath out uh, and you can watch yourself do it and you can actually watch your body um, sort of counter the stress response Coming back to the biomechanist Tony Blazevich. Tony, I'm interested in what's going on when, you know, you often see athletes before they start running or jumping or whatever, taking deep breaths. What does that actually do? Well, there are two reasons for that, two possible reasons. And I'll just preface this by saying, you know what, like in most science, we don't absolutely know everything about this. But at the moment, there are two probable reasons. The first one is if you're just going to take a few really quick deep breaths, what that can do is focus you. So you stop thinking about everything because you have to take those big breaths and you focus on what's in front of you. So it's a nice way to sort of put up a wall between what just happened and what you're about to do. And at the same time, if you have been a bit stressed and nervous and we breathe a bit shallower, like we talked about before, you can just increase that blood oxygen content fractionally. And we believe that that might you know, create a very small benefit. There is a second benefit, though. If you're about to do something that, that's really exertive and lasts maybe 30 seconds or more, or if you have to do repeated exercise. So, in your exercise class, you're about to do repeated exercises, or you've got to walk up a set of stairs, you, you wait a minute or two, and then you have to walk up more stairs. If you can do a period of, say, 30 seconds or a minute of sort of over-breathing or hyperventilation, that seems to get rid of more carbon dioxide out of your lungs. Carbon dioxide works as an acid. So, what this will help to do is pull more carbon dioxide then out of your blood. So, if you get it out of your lungs, it will then come from the blood back into your lungs. And that means your blood has less acid. When we have acidic blood, we don't tend to perform as well. So, if you're performing for about 30 seconds or more high intensity, or if you've got to repeat these efforts, 
getting that blood pH stabilized is really, really beneficial. And there's some really great research, you know, showing in elite cyclists and everything else that a few minutes of this uh, sort of hyperventilation really improves performance. What about um, during sports performance, the, the kind of sports where you have to do really different things. I'm thinking about, you know, the the biathlon where you do cross-country skiing for a while and then you have to stop and you have to shoot at a target. Yeah, that's super hard. That must involve breath control. It does, absolutely. And believe it or not, to some degree, also heart rate control. So, what they do is obviously they ski very, very hard and the heart rate is up. And when your heart rate and your breathing are up, everything is moving. So, if you lie down to shoot a rifle, when you're breathing in deeply, the rifle's moving everywhere and even your heart rate can be so strong, it creates a very small movement in the gun itself. So, what they have to do is they have to find a way to hold their breath and they also have to try and slow their heart rate as much as possible, as rapidly as possible. And they obviously do that by taking some very, very deep breaths to get not only a lot of oxygen into the lungs, but again, it's about getting that carbon dioxide back out of the lung because it's the carbon dioxide that actually tells you to breathe. You've got receptors that detect the carbon dioxide levels in your lungs and say, Gee, I've got too much, I better breathe. So, if you take a couple of very deep breaths, then for a very short period of time, your brain receives the signal that says, I'm okay, no need to breathe for a bit. And then you can actually hold your breath without sort of struggling under that and causing extra stress. So, those few quick, deep breaths and then hold breath. That technique is really important to them. And of course, the extra oxygen is is really useful as well. What they also do is when you stretch the lungs and the the muscles around the lungs and when you um, increase the blood pressure very briefly by taking that big sort of breath in, it just triggers a slight rise in blood pressure. You also then trigger a whole bunch of receptors that would otherwise want to reduce your blood pressure and slow your heart rate. And so, what they can do is get a very, very small slowing of the heart rate very briefly after that. And then, if they're really good, they try and shoot between their heartbeats, which is really pretty insane. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So, how is then breathing used in recovery from exertion, Tony? Well, um, usually if you've just run up the stairs or if you've just done, you know, some sort of high intensity sprint performance and you're breathing heavily, then again, the key is, is that yes, you need to get oxygen to your muscles and you need to get oxygen to recover. So, making sure that you're fully oxygenated by taking slightly deeper breaths than normal, Remember the shallow breath, it's very hard for the oxygen to get into the blood because it has to traverse all the way through your lungs. The second thing is you're trying to get rid of a bit of extra carbon dioxide because that's pouring out of your blood because you generate carbon dioxide when you've been exercising. And extra carbon dioxide makes you breathe fast. So, if you want to recover your breathing for some reason, again, the deeper breathing is really, really useful. Um, Also, actually, When you do that, you've probably heard of lactic acid. When you do high-intensity exercise, you don't actually produce lactic acid, but you do produce lactate and you do produce acid. (laughs) And that, of course, causes some pain, you know, the muscle pain and other things, and it can limit the way the muscles then function later. And so, this deep breathing can actually, again, get rid of the acidosis that the carbon dioxide causes, meaning you have less acidosis and you generally perform a little bit better. So, ultimately, it helps you recover for some sort of next performance. The freediver Stig Severinsen has really explored the possibilities of breathing and not breathing for himself and for those he's training. Well, there are many, many types of ancient traditional breathwork styles from hyperventilation to really get energetic 
vigorous breath work to wake up the body, to hyperventilate a little bit, to push a bit more blood into your cells, to elevate the blood pressure. So this is kind of a way of stressing your body, but it's a positive stress because it's, you know, it's self-inflicted. <laughs> but, but if you want to relax, you sit up straight or you can be lying down and then you breathe in always with your nose. I always tell people the nose is for breathing, the mouth is for eating, right? So you breathe in with your nose have a slight pause and then you exhale slowly and that can be through the mouth that's fine because the mouth is easy to regulate so you can make your exhale very long and uh, another thing i usually tell people when i do breath work it's uh, the key to relaxation is in the exhalation so many people are getting this wrong they think breathing is the the important thing right if you go to a gym they'll tell you breathe breathe if you're doing your workout but it's you know it's the same as I tell you if I throw you in the pool and you have never been swimming before and I just tell you to swim, swim, swim. It's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. It's not explaining how to breathe or, you know, how to swim in that case. And, and what's the role of holding your breath in your conscious breathing technique? Well, you can say there are two ends of the scale. The one that I you know, teach people and explain people, it's just the pause. <sighs> breathing in and holding that pause. When you stop your breathing, everything stops around you. If your breathing is haphazard, you know, all over the place because you're not conscious, you don't have any notion of what is this breathing. It, it's just occurring. Um, so if you just stop suddenly for 10 seconds, just 10 seconds, you have this wonderful, peaceful feeling. It can be an epiphany for people that they can actually take control of their breathing. And then you go into the breath holding aspect, which is called apnea or free diving. And with that, of course, you're challenging yourself to push your limits. And then you want to go as far as you can. And then that is what I would call the other end of the scale. I'm not sure if you know, but I was the first person to ever hold my breath more than 20 minutes in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was this was back in 2012 when you set the world record. 2010. 2010. Yeah, I did 20 minutes, 10 seconds, like the year. <laughs> and then I did it in uh, the year after. I did 21 minutes in 2011. And then in 2012, you're right. I think that's the record you're thinking of. That was 22 minutes. So... I use my freediving as a way of advocating for all the benefits of breath holding. And in this instant, it would be that you can control your mind to relax, even though you're in a stressful situation. So now when I use breath holding and apnea, you know, my freediving training, and by the way, never hold your breath alone underwater. That's the first rule of diving. It can feel so wonderful that you actually don't want to stop and you push a little bit too much and you can unfortunately have what's called a blackout. So you lose consciousness and then you drown and you die. So just to get it out to people, please never hold your breath alone in water. But no, I, I use the breath holding to just teach people that there's another side of breathing. You know, it's the yin and the yang. You, if you need to understand breathing and you want to really truly understand what is breathing doing in your body, how does it make you feel, you need to understand the whole range of the breathing process. So you also need to understand the breath holding, the not breathing. Because the longer you can hold your breath on, on your own scale, let's make that very clear, the more you understand that you can actually relax better and go from 10 seconds to 45 seconds. And after one week, you're maybe at two and a half minutes. You're like, oh my gosh, I never thought this was even humanly possible. So breath holding is a great way to measure yourself and your ability to relax on demand. 
to learn to become comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. And you can just put your stopwatch on and see that you're improving times. Because yoga and mindfulness is hard to measure, but the ability to measure how long you hold your breath is very simple. And Stig Severinsen is a world champion freediver currently based in Barcelona. He's the author of Breatheology, The Art of Conscious Breathing, and the e-book version of that is free to download from his Breatheology website. Sarasvati Dawson is a yoga instructor in Melbourne and the author of Yoga Off the Mat, Freedom in Everyday Life. And Tony Blazevich is a biomechanist and the director of the Centre for Exercise and Sports Science Research at Edith Cowan University in Perth. Sporty is produced by Damien Rabbit. I'm Amanda Smith. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.